oxygen to live. I need shelter. I need relationships. I need a God, the God who created me, a God who loves me unconditionally. As Chris Raber would say, our greatest need was met on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And praise God, that is true. Because if that need had not been met, we would have no hope for eternity. But yet having that need met, as we anticipate entering into eternity to embrace the full glory of that need being met, as we live and breathe here on this earth, we still have daily needs. And those daily needs are an opportunity for us as believers to glorify God, to honor Him. As we've been journeying through the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, we've discussed most recent, very recently the Lord's Prayer. Today, we look at a call to prayer, a command to pray. No, the word prayer isn't used in this text, but that's what it is. It's a call to dependence on God, to trust and rest in Him. As you see in your outline, we've broken this down into what we're going to look at this morning is three different areas. First, the command. What we are called to do in obedience. Then we have the consequence or the effect of following that command. And then we have the commitment that is promised us as a result of our faith and our trust. Jesus, as I said, gives us a command in this text this morning. Before we get to that command, though, let's remind ourselves this morning of what, he's already told, what he has already told us as we've been making this journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Going back to just to chapter 6, we talked about being generous for the glory of God. We talked about fasting for God. We talked about laying up treasures in heaven for God's glory and not for our gain. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Last week, we talked about taking the log out of our own eye. We talked about making it about others and not about us. Make it about God and not about us. It's on that premise, the premise of focusing on God, that the psalmist wrote in Psalms 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's on that God-centered premise that we come to today's text. And it's on that premise that we are commanded to ask, seek, and knock. What is it that we're pursuing? What are we asking for? What are we seeking? What are we knocking for? Chapter 7, verse 11, the last verse of our text, says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Good things. What's He talking about? Good things. In Luke's gospel, there's a, this text is paralleled there. 
And actually, this account of asking, seeking, and knocking is placed closer to the Lord's Prayer. There's less separation in the text. And it's connected by a parable that kind of bridges between the Lord's Prayer and this command to ask, seek, and knock. It's a physical need of bread for a friend. And if you go back to Luke's account in chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and, and kind of reference it. But we're just going to hit a couple of verses. One verse, actually. But if you look at his parallel account in chapter 11, it's very similar to Matthew's account. There's one case where a, where a couple words are reversed but still mean the same thing. But there is one variation where a different word is used, and it's in the last verse. Matthew says, give good things. Luke chapter 11, specifically verse 13, it says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Not good things, but specifically the Holy Spirit. It seems a lot more narrow that way, doesn't it? You're asking for one specific thing, the Holy Spirit. But it is, the Holy Spirit is the means by which we are to process life. John chapter 14, verse 26. This is Jesus talking. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's the point of the Holy Spirit. But regardless of the object of the commands to ask, seek, and knock, whether it's broad as in good things or narrow as in the Holy Spirit. They are what you would call progressive commands. Each word denotes another level of action. It says ask and can be very much interpreted as prayer, a basic act of asking God for something, saying the words to God. God, this is what I need. This is where I'm at. Help me. It's a command to use our words to communicate. The next element is to seek. This element of the command involves using our resources. It involves some action other than just our words. It's a call, if you will, to study God's word to seek to understand God's nature, to seek who He is and how He would process the situation that we're in the midst of. It's the process of seeking counsel, to lean on brothers and sisters in Christ and and seek their wisdom, seek their direction, receive their accountability. The third point of the action is to knock, and this takes it to yet another level. This is the act of being hands-on. uses the word knock, You know, to actually physically knock, well, that just means to make something happen. Go to other people. Go to other places. Do what is within your control to make it happen. I'll give you an illustration of going through these steps this week. I didn't want to draw attention to it too early. I wasn't sure if I was going to at all, but we have some uh, fresh help in the sound room this morning. Both of our regular sound men are with their families, enjoying some family time. We didn't come to this awareness until last Sunday afternoon. So we had to do some asking to God, you know, how are we going to fill this position? I don't know how many of you have seen the board up there, but there's probably well over 100 knobs and sliders and lots of things that if you don't know what you're doing, 
it could get real interesting. And it can be very intimidating. But we asked God in prayer, how do we do this? Then we started seeking and understanding what were our resources, who, who could we pull in. And then we started knocking, started making phone calls. And God provided Chris and Austin to tag team it. And praise God, they did a good job this morning. You know what, if they hadn't, it would have been okay. This doesn't have to come off perfect. It usually doesn't when I'm up here. But it doesn't have to. But the important thing is that we're asking and we're seeking, we're knocking and we're seeking God. So that's what we want to look at a little more. We often stop at asking, though, don't we? We'll go to God and say, God, this is what we need. Take care of it. And then we run off and do our own thing. We give him our list and then we go back to whatever we were doing to satisfy ourselves. You see, it's easy to ask. Seems to be sometimes, especially to God. It seems like, you know, kind of detached if we're, if we're not really thinking, if we're not really searching, allowing him to search us. It seems easy to say, God, I need this or I need that or God, take care of this or God, why aren't you taking care of this? It seems easy to do at times. Seeking is a little harder. It involves more action. We have to do some work. We have to see what our options are. We have to study things out. We have to, as I said earlier, seek to understand who God is and how he might respond in this situation that we're dealing with. And then there's knocking. That involves us doing some hard things. It involves us asking people for things. It involves us doing some hard work sometimes and not always knowing, often not knowing what the result's going to be. If you dig into the language of this verse, the the original language behind it, there is also in these words of asking and seeking and knocking a call to persistence. The Amplified Version, which I like to refer to often, again, brings in a lot of adjectives. It brings out the deeper meaning of these simple words in this way. It says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And this principle of persistence is confirmed elsewhere in Scripture in many places, but specifically in the parable of the persistent widow. In Luke chapter 18, we won't turn there this morning, but I think we're, many of us are familiar with that story where the woman just keeps coming to the judge over and over again, and God uses that as a call to us to be persistent. Just because he doesn't answer the first time doesn't mean he's not going to answer. It's a matter of persistence and dedication on our part. Are we really as dedicated to the cause that we're bringing to God as we like to think we are? And he uses that persistence to work things in our hearts. Asking, seeking, and knocking are actually fruits of a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. They are not a means to a relationship. They are a result of that. See, true, persistent, dedicated pursuit of God only comes from a heart that is turned toward God. That's the key to asking and seeking and knocking and and, and finding results. Well, when we, in obedience, approach God through the command that he's given us, what is the consequence of that? What is the effect of that obedience? Chapter 7 of, verse 7 of chapter 7, 
He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. It will. Not it might, not it could, but it will. In verse 8, it repeats it for emphasis. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. So does that mean, pastor, that I'll get anything I ask for? No, it doesn't. If you just take these verses out of context and don't consider the whole of Scripture, you can make a pretty good case for that, can't you? But we should not do that. We cannot do that. As faithful followers of Christ, we are to take Scripture as a whole. We already looked back at chapter 6. What we are called to do is make it about God and others and not about us. Going back to Psalms 37, starting in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. Delight, and He will give. Commit, and He will act. That delighting, that commitment, that committing come out of a changed heart. In our flesh, we tend toward the opposite, don't we? We delight in the pleasures of the flesh. We commit our way to worldly endeavors. We trust in ourselves or in other people. And then we accuse God of failing us when things go badly. Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. You see, it's conditional. These answers are conditioned to say, wait a minute, that's not fair. No, it's acknowledge Him. Trust Him. Put your faith in Him and He will respond. Acknowledging God in all our ways is a fruit of our trust in Him. A fruit of our miraculous conversion. A a fruit of us embracing the true gospel. The gospel of Christ stepping down out of heaven. Living the perfect life in victory over sin and death. Carrying our sin to the cross. Shedding His blood for our sin. To cleanse us and then to be resurrected in victory over sin and death. That is the foundation of the fruit. That is what makes possible our conversion. You see, when we look to things other than God, it doesn't mean that we're condemned because we are human. We are going to sin. You can say make mistakes, but what it is is sin because we're making our desires, our wants, a higher priority than what God wants. It can be because we're not converted. Our sinful responses may be because we are a lost soul in need of a Savior. But it's often because we are a work in progress. Just because you struggle to see God in the midst of your trials doesn't mean you're not saved. Just because God is not answering your prayers right now 
doesn't mean that you're not making it about God. There's that persistence that we're called to. And then there's that seeking and trying to understand what God is doing. There are those in the congregation now dealing with health issues with themselves or with loved ones. Because those prayers are not being answered does not mean that you're approaching the throne improperly. It does not mean that you're making it all about you. That's not what I'm trying to say this morning. Just because your prayer is not being answered doesn't mean that you are doing something wrong. But what God wants us to do as we ask and we seek and we knock is to trust Him and to know that we are in the midst of a fallen world. And in a fallen world, things are broken. Our eyes don't work. Our voices are strained. Cancer comes. Our backs fail us. But because those things happen, doesn't mean we're not keeping our eyes on God. But it means He wants to carry us in the midst of those things. And as we ask and we seek and we knock, His manifestations are going to appear differently. I want to emphasize that this morning. Just because you're struggling with something doesn't mean that you're failing to put God first. But He wants to carry you through whatever your trial is. The reality of the situation is when we seek, our asking is going to evolve. You know, initially we'll ask God to help us in the midst of our situation, but then as we begin to seek, we'll begin to see more clearly what God is doing. And our asking will change, our question, our prayers to God will change. The more we understand, the better the questions to God become. And when we knock, we will seek in different ways. As we knock, then circumstances will change. Circumstances will avail themselves that cause us to seek down different trails, to learn different things about God, to learn different things about our situation. And again, our questions to God, our appeals to God will change. God uses our circumstances to reveal himself to us. Our answered prayers are a result of our alignment with God. Our answered prayers, again, may not come in the form of healing in this life, but they will come in the form of eternity with him. When we seek him in faith, he will not fail us. And God's fulfillment of his commitment to us is manifested in his faithfulness to us. How can we be so sure of this commitment that God is going to do what God says he will do? Well, Jesus in this text appeals to an illustration that's familiar to us. I ask you this morning, what would you as parents do for your own children? If your son asked for bread, would you give him a stone? What about a fish? Would you give him a serpent? If our children make a need known to us as parents, we're going to do everything within our power to make it happen. If we surrender our needs to God, He is going to do everything within His power to fulfill them. And of course, everything is within God's power. God cannot be limited. He is not limited. Why do we struggle to believe this? Why do we struggle to believe the deity of God, the sovereignty of God, the omnipotence of God? 
the omnipresence of God. Why do we struggle to believe these truths? It's foreign to us in our flesh. It's not what we know with our hands, with our eyes, with our ears. It's not what we know as we interact with other people. Because God is supernatural. And there is that whole sin problem. Because that's what we know. We prefer our pleasure over God's glory. We get discontent when we believe that we're missing out on something. We think someone, other people, even God is withholding something from us. That's how Satan tempted Eve. He told her that God was withholding something great from her. We make it all about us. If we, our opinion is, our thought is, our attitudes are, that if we don't take care of us, then no one else will. We also get suspicious, don't we? Well, we have reason to be suspicious of man. Again, chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Well, we need to break that phrase down a little this morning. Look at what he means by that. He's calling his hearers, the ones he was speaking to in the midst of this sermon, he's calling us as we read this, evil. Well, who are his hearers particularly? Are they unsaved individuals, people who were not following him? Go to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and we see who this entire sermon is addressed to. It says, And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So, He called his disciples evil. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. You see, left to ourselves... We are all evil. We are all far less than righteous. Praise God that His righteousness is imputed upon us when we receive the miracle of salvation. But in the meantime, we are imperfect. We are far from righteous. And that's why we need His righteousness. Anything good in us is from God. And you say, well, unsaved people do good things. Yeah, but why do they do them? What are their motives? It's not to glorify God. So what are their motives? They're not motivated by the Creator. The psalmist says it like this in Psalms 145, starting in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Going back to chapter 7, verse 11 in Matthew. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? The God that created us, the God that we serve, is the God that the psalmist just described to us. He's merciful. He's loving. He's great. That is the God who we are appealing to as we ask, seek, and knock. That is the God who should we put our faith in and believe that He will come through. He will fulfill. If we, in our sinfulness, in our wretchedness, desire good things for our children, how likely is a good, loving, just, 
and selfless God to give you nothing, to give us nothing but good things. So why, if, we, if this is true, and we read this and we know this when we're thinking clearly, why do we struggle with trusting God? Well, we try to make Him human, as I said before. We try to make Him the only thing that we know, the only thing that's familiar to us, and He's not human. We compare Him to the people that we know, the people we trust. We ask, but we really don't believe He'll answer. We seek, but we really don't think we're going to find anything. We knock, but we really don't expect anything to happen. Because we compare our Heavenly Father to our earthly fathers, our earthly mothers, our bosses, anyone who's an authority over us, anyone who we look up to who inevitably fails us. My children know that I love them, but they also know that I'm not perfect, that I'm going to fail them. I'm going to allow some selfish motives to creep in sometimes in how I respond to them. But praise God, I, I serve a God who redeems that, who restores that and helps me to point them past me to Him. God wants to give us good things. But he wants us to call good what he calls good. He wants us to trust that he will provide. This morning, are you asking, seeking, and knocking? Are you wholeheartedly pursuing God? What lies are you believing this morning that cause you to doubt, to deny that God will fulfill his commitment, that God is who the scripture says he is, that God is who he says he is. Are you thinking, are you believing that God doesn't care about you, that you're just one in a sea of seven, over seven billion? Do you believe the lie that you're not good enough with God, you've, you've sinned too big, you've sinned too many times, you've sinned too much? You believe in the lie that you're not worthy of Christ's sacrifice? You are who Christ died for. No matter how deep your wretchedness is, no matter how many people your sinfulness has harmed, has affected, has crushed, God is, Jesus is who, you, who he, you are who Christ died for. You are who Christ was resurrected for. Each one of you sitting here, for me, each one of us, 100%, we don't have to share God, we get all of him. Do you believe, like Satan tried to tell Eve and Adam, that God is keeping good things from you because he's just this domineering presence who just wants to taunt you and dangle a carrot in front of you and tease you? That's not the God who created us. That's not the God I serve. That's not the God who loves you. Do you believe this morning that God is who he says he is? Is he answering your prayers? Through what lens are you interpreting whether or not he is answering your prayers? Are you demanding that he handles the situation the way that you want him to handle it? Are you seeing him, or are you seeing him in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the trouble, and trusting that even though you don't see the problem coming to a conclusion or being cleared up, but you do trust and know that God is in control of it? And then, no matter, as the valley may get deeper, that God is still in control. God is walking with you and helping you and giving you opportunity to glorify Him in the midst of your trial? Are your prayers in line with God's nature? 
or your prayers about you and what it's costing you and what you could have if this prayer would just be answered. It's not easy to overcome ourselves. We're not called to do it under our own strength. When we're called to die to ourselves daily, it's a process of going to God and saying, God, I can't do this. I'm a wretched individual. I'm selfish. I'm prideful. I'm greedy. I'm angry. Go through the whole list. God, I need you by the power of your Holy Spirit to purge this from me so that then once this trash is cleared out, then I can see clearly to ask you, to seek you, to knock at heaven's door. See, that's what we're called to do. We're not called to take this text as a blank check to get whatever we want. This text is a call to, in the midst of our faithfulness, on the foundation of our complete trust in God, then we will ask Him. We will seek Him. We will knock at His door and trust that He will provide in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles, and in the midst of our needs. That is the God that saved you. That is the God that longs to walk with you in relationship daily. Do you serve that God? It is the only. He is the only God. So if you are confused in that, if the lies are distracting you, He longs to bring clarity to you. He longs to restore you, to walk with you through whatever trial it is that you're facing. Judah sings a song. He'll often break out into song. This just hit me. I was thinking God is bigger, but he's a VeggieTales song that he loves. It says, God is bigger than the boogeyman. God's bigger than everything. God is bigger than whatever you're facing. He really is. It doesn't seem like it right now. But he is, and he is the only person, the only deity that is going to bring you through it. We wear ourselves out by seeking things of this world to carry us, to restore us, to strengthen us, to justify us, to glorify us. God wants us to glorify Him so that He can provide for us. He wants us to seek Him because we, He is all we need. He is the only thing that will help us, that will carry us, that will restore us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. I praise you for this truth. I praise you for this text, God. I praise you for the privilege to come to you. I praise you, God, that you instruct us to be persistent. And that in our persistence, Lord, you faithfully, mercifully, gently change us. I thank you, Lord, that our questions do change as we seek and mature. I praise you, Lord, that we do seek deeper relationship with you, Lord, as we knock, as we push through our circumstances, Lord, not for our own gain, not for our own will, but we step out in faith and we do things that we think you're asking us to do. Sometimes they're not always right. But I thank you, God, that you are faithful to teach us even in the midst of the wrong decisions. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to walk in relationship with you, Father. And that you are faithful to bring us along, to mature us, to strengthen us, to restore us, Father. Most of all, Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the foundation of faith that we have to stand on, the foundation of Christ's sacrifice, Lord, to face whatever this world brings us and then to cross into eternity 
in relationship with you and receive the fullness of the joy of the salvation that you have made available to us, Father. God, we praise you and we pray for your spirit, for our hearts to be open to your spirit as we go through this week for ourselves and what we face and as we walk alongside each other, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.